0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice.
1: On this episode of the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast, Dr. Jacob Kettle describes the role of immune checkpoint inhibitors and helps us understand more about establishing the role of targeted therapies in cancer care. Listen in to Dr. Kettle's insights and be sure to get your continuing education credits at PharmacyTimes.org. That's PharmacyTimes.org for all your continuing educational needs.
0: Here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri.
1: Pharmacy Podcast Nation, we are returning to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. We're going to be talking about optimizing care for patients on immune checkpoint inhibitor targeted combinations, and we have a special guest today, Dr. Jacob Kettle. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thanks for having me. So this is an interesting topic. The use of immune checkpoint inhibitors and targeted therapies has transformed the treatment of many malignancies, including renal cell carcinoma. I want you to take over, Jacob, and give our listeners an overview of what we're gonna be talking about today.
2: Yeah, so this is a remarkable time to be in oncology practice. We are really seeing the promise of decades of bench research come to fruition. Um, And now we have access to a plethora of treatment opportunities Um, that are really driving improved outcomes for patients. So the focus today, uh, as we go through this podcast, will be the emerging role of combinations of immune checkpoint inhibitors and targeted therapy really across uh, the spectrum of cancer care. So we're going to be talking about the rationale for pursuing these combinations. We'll take a deeper dive into a handful of these clinically relevant therapies in, in practice today, and then we'll discuss kind of the future direction of where all this is headed. So
1: PTCE Pharmacy Connect has a tremendous amount of resources. If you're jogging, you're walking your dog, chopping vegetables, don't worry. You'll have all the access to the information in the show notes. Uh, We will uh, interconnect back to uh, the library of PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcasts. So let's start out with background on immune checkpoint inhibitors and targeted therapies, Uh, Jacob.
2: So we basically have three... Modalities of cancer care uh, or systemic therapy in cancer care today. And there's, you could probably argue, there's other ways to break it down. And there's a handful of other drugs or things that I'm forgetting. But our systemic treatments are kind of conventional chemotherapy, targeted therapy, and immunotherapy. Um, All three of these things have kind of emerged in parallel. And we'll talk about them in more detail in just a minute. But They've kind of emerged in parallel. And what's so exciting about where we're at now is we're starting to see kind of those lines that separated these modalities being erased. And we're seeing these new combinations emerge, which is exciting from a scientific level, but also really exciting because it's driving better care and better outcomes for patients. So we we talk about chemo. This is what most people are familiar with, or conventional chemotherapy. This has been around for decades. These are the anthracyclines, the taxanes, the platinums. Uh, They kind of disrupt the cell cycle. They damage DNA. They work kind of as almost a blunt force instrument. Um, And with only a handful of exceptions, we use these throughout the spectrum of cancer care. But it stands in contrast to targeted therapy and immune therapy, which work entirely different mechanisms. So it's uh, using these types of drugs that we're going to focus on today is an entirely different approach to cancer care that's again, really moved in predominance in the last five, 10 or so years. So talking about targeted therapy, this started to materialize right around the turn of of the millennium with drugs like rituximab, uh, which is a CD20-targeted drug, emerged in lymphomas first. Um, Trastuzumab, a HER2-targeting drug, emerged in breast cancer first. And imatinib is a BCR-able targeting drug, really transformed uh, CML. Um, And these are all a very different approach than chemotherapy. They are highly specified. They're designed to specifically manipulate a unique mutation, amplification, some other kind of driver of tumor cell growth. And the intention basically is to disrupt whatever the underlying pathway is that's driving the cancer cell proliferation and restore normal apoptotic pathways. So that's the gist of a targeted therapy. And what we've seen in recent years is an explosion of these types of drugs, uh, both small molecule inhibitors and large monoclonal antibodies. They that, that target CD20, HER2, VEGF, EGFR, BRAF, ALK, NTRK, KRAS, ROS1. The list goes on and on, um, and uh, you know it's a full alphabet soup, if you will. Um, we got now over a hundred agents that kind of fill this role of being um, targeted therapy, and, and really across the tumor spectrum, thirty plus. Tumor types have some type of targeted therapy approved for them. And we're starting to see um, drugs that are emergent agnostic of tumor types. So Intrec um, is a really exciting one. There's probably a few that I'm forgetting, but uh, drugs that are emerging without being tied to a specific tumor type, they're tied to a mutation. So really exciting change and difference in approach to practice. Um, Immunotherapy is also an entirely different way of approaching cancer care uh, compared to historical chemotherapy. Um, The concept of immunotherapy has been around for decades. We've long known that immunology and oncology are inexorably linked, Uh, but really it hasn't been until recently that we've been able to develop therapeutics that are really effective at manipulating the immune system and delivering improved outcomes. You can think about drugs like IL-2 that have been around a long time. They work in a really narrow select group of patients. So um, it's really been the emergence of um, checkpoint inhibitors, which is a special type of immunotherapy. So immunotherapy, a big class, but the type of immunotherapy known as checkpoint inhibitors is what's really driven this monumental practice change in the last really the last decade, but it's really uh, picked up the pace in the last five years. Uh, and these, there's two types of kind of drugs that fall in this class. There's CTLA4 inhibitors. There's one of those drugs that's called ipilimumab that was approved in 2011. Um, and there's PD1 and PDL1 inhibitors. That's like pembrolizumab, nivolumab, teselizumab. There's a handful of others, um, but those those really started to shift the landscape of the oncology in the 20 teens, somewhere in that space. Again, these drugs work entirely different than chemotherapy um, and distinct from targeted therapy as well. So rather than directly affecting the tumor cell, they modulate the immune system and kind of restore natural immune functions that um, the tumor cell has found a way to evade. So we're really trying to turn back on the immune system so that it can work the way it's supposed to, to eliminate cancer cells. Um, at the outset, these checkpoint inhibitors were usually started off in melanoma, which was kind of those traditional kind of immunogenic cancer. But it's been remarkable, um, disease after disease, we found a role for these checkpoint inhibitors. Whether it's lung cancer, breast cancer, ge- uh, gastrointestinal cancer, genitourinary urinary cancers, gynecological malignancies, head and neck cancer, even certain types of lymphoma. Uh, the place in therapy for these drugs, extremely broad. Um, And so, you know, if we look at today's practice versus historical practice, I think the single biggest difference um, is that we're using now all three of our main modalities in one way or another combined with one another. So we're using chemotherapy and combining it with targeted therapy, using chemotherapy and combining it with, Uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, or what we're mostly going to focus on today, immune checkpoint inhibitors combined with targeted therapy. So what about the rationale for using these therapies together? Are there any disadvantages? So as far as rationale goes, I think you can break it out into practical reasons, as well as kind of more complex scientific reasons to explore combinations. Uh, From a practical perspective, uh, as remarkable as targeted therapies and immunotherapies have been on their own, There was still, you know, we didn't cure cancer with with those alone. There was still progress left to be made. Um, Not enough patients responded or not enough patients responded well enough, or their use wasn't broad enough across the spectrum of of cancer care. So the goal of pursuing combinations really is to expand clinical applications or to enhance outcomes of patients. So that's the practical rationale behind exploring these things. But it turns out there's actually really good scientific and clinical reasons behind this as well. Um, The tumor tumor microenvironment is incredibly complex. Uh, And so, too, is the immune system extraordinarily dynamic and highly complex. So especially when we think about, you know, unique targeted therapies or modulating the immune system, we're kind of selling ourselves short if we don't find ways to kind of look for some synergism so that we can really capitalize on the best um, that all these modalities have to offer, kind of looking for ways that. Um, They can complement one another and really push the envelope, not just additive effects, um, but synergistic effects as well. And so you also asked about disadvantages. I I think that's well worth discussing. Um, I, I think the biggest one that will come to mind is adverse events, almost without exception. When you start combining treatments, you're inevitably going to have an increase in adverse events. Fortunately, immunotherapy and targeted therapy are relatively compatible drugs. Um, there certainly are some limitations uh, here, some overlapping toxicities, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about uh, in an upcoming podcast. But it's not the same type of limitations that you see when you combine way too many conventional chemotherapy drugs together. You know, there's a reason we stop at the most three, four, five drugs in a regimen because those, toxic, those toxicities overlap you can no longer tolerate that. So the point with toxicities is yes, there are some overlapping toxicities, but not to the extent beyond what's manageable. And I think that's why these again, are, are very intriguing um, combinations, because not only do they make sense from a practical standpoint and efficacy standpoint, but also uh, again, they, they play nice together. There's There is reason to suspect patients can tolerate these treatments. Um, The other disadvantage that's worth diving into, and and to this point kind of a theoretical disadvantage um, needs to be explored a little more, but I guess a concern would be, are we exhausting all of our best treatment options up front in a combination when maybe sequential use of each class of drug is equally efficacious or at least has the same projected survival? I think that's a question that has a lot to be elucidated from. Um, or a lot left to uh, elucidate. You don't want to expend all your best options early uh, and then have nothing to go to. Uh, you want to make sure if you are going to combine treatments, and we've seen this already, say you get a better bang for your buck about using everything all up front. Your response is deeper, remissions last longer, all those kind of things. But that that is a theoretical concern. If we kind of unload the chamber up front, do we have anything else to salvage the patient with? Uh, And that's an entirely different kind of risk-benefit value of care discussion that we won't get into, Um, but I think it's at least worth pointing out.
1: Data is so important. Let's talk about some of that clinical data supporting the use of these agents, starting with immunotherapy plus the vascular endothelial growth factor receptor inhibitors, which is known as VEGF. What's the proposed mechanism here?
2: Yeah, so uh, VEGF plus immune uh, checkpoint inhibitors is probably the most prominent or most widely utilized uh, targeted therapy plus immunotherapy combination in clinical practice today. And the the mechanism really is is fascinating and maybe a little bit fortuitous. Um, So VEGF is an important cell signaling pathway, drives the formation of new vasculature in this process, otherwise known as angiogenesis, uh, is critical to sustaining tumor cell growth. So likewise, if we inhibit VEGF with a drug like bevacizumab, cabozantinib, limbatinib, bixitinib, that can be really useful as an anti-cancer agent, particularly in tumors that are really dependent on the VEGF pathway, like colorectal cancer, hepatocellular cancer, renal cell carcinoma. So that piece of the puzzle is nothing new. That's a little bit of review if you've been involved in cancer care before. But what's remarkable is that VEGF activation and angiogenesis are also... Uh, a driver of localized immunosuppression in that kind of tumor microenvironment. And so this is where that synergistic effect with immunotherapy happens. If we inhibit VEGF, uh, we also undo some of that localized immune suppression. And that kind of serves to manipulate the tumor microenvironment in a way that helps overcome potential resistance so it allows the immunotherapy to work better. And so really fascinating to kind of see these two historic treatments when you say historic oncology today, it's, you know, immunotherapy is five, 10 years old. Like it, it's just our, our definition of history is, is pretty narrow anymore. Things change so fast. But I think it's amazing to see these two drugs works so well together. We're not talking, uh, at least from a bench side standpoint, we're not talking about just going after additive effects. We're actually. Uh, There's really sound reason to believe there's some synergism going on here as well. Each drug helps the other work better. Actually, more accurately put, uh, the VEGF inhibitor helps the immune therapy work better. It undoes some of that localized resistance.
1: Can you walk us through some of the data as well? I mean, digging down into this.
2: Yeah. So the mechanism and all that's all well and good. Um, But the real excitement, at least for me as a clinician, is seeing how these combinations really have reshaped cancer care. So the first kind of set I want to talk about these combinations and really was the first place that it emerged in clinical practice was renal cell carcinoma. There's a lot of options here, several key trials compared to VEGF inhibitor plus immunotherapy uh, and compared that to the historical standard of care, which was sunitinib. And so three combinations have been approved uh, that have demonstrated not only almost a doubling of response rates, but also around a 9 to 12-month increase in overall survival. Those three were shown. The Keynote 426 trial uh, showed pembrolizumab plus exitinib, uh in superiority over sunitinib. The Checkpoint 9 ER trial showed nivolumab plus cabozantinib again, superiority over sunitinib. And the CLEAR trial showed pembrolizumab plus linvatinib uh, had that same superiority Uh, over Sinib as well. There's a fourth combination that is FDA approved. Uh, That's a Velumab plus Exitinib. Doesn't have the overall survival data supporting its use, so I kind of set that one to the side a little bit. Most excitement, I think, is around those three main combinations. Uh, Again, Pembrolizumab and Exitinib, Nivolumab and Cabozantinib, or Pembrolizumab and Batinib. The key takeaway here, especially with those three regimens, is that The benefit was seen across all risk categories. Uh, Previous frontline use of immunotherapy um, in the renal cell carcinoma space, particularly the combination of nivolumab and ipilimumab, uh, the benefits seemed to be limited to patients with poor or uh, intermediate risk. These new combinations kind of extended that benefit of frontline immunotherapy to all risk groups uh, and that's also regardless of PD-L1 expression. So um, I, I think that's one of the goals, at least from a practical perspective, that we want to see with these immune combinations is expanding uh, clinical utility to more patients, broader use, uh, and that certainly is delivered in the setting uh, of renal cell carcinoma. Uh, we can move to a carcinoma. Again, this is a notoriously challenging disease, state, poorly responsive to chemotherapy, and really one we haven't had much in the way of great breakthrough uh, really the entire time I've been in practice. Um, so the study here that's so fascinating is, is the Embrave 150 study that compared to that's a pd one inhibitor, and bevacizumab, that's a VEGF inhibitor, uh, to the historical standard of care. In this case, that's serafinib, that's also a VEGF inhibitor. Uh, and they looked at that in frontline treatment of hepatocellular carcinoma. Uh, The results of this study, again, significantly improved response rates, about 12% to 27% overall response rate, and an increase in 12-month overall survival from about 55% to 67%. And this really clearly established a new standard of care. Uh, And again, the takeaway that really solidifies the importance in this case and the need for exploring these combinations is... Monotherapy with immune checkpoint inhibitors had already been explored in the hepatocellular carcinoma space. It didn't improve overall survival. It didn't kind of break through and, and establish a new standard of care, but combination therapy did. Um, and the last little piece that I want to talk about, uh, at least with the VEGF inhibitors, is endometrial cancer. Um, this was shown in the keynote 775 trial where pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib was compared to. Provider's choice of chemotherapy, doxorubicin or paclitaxel, this is second line or later endometrial cancer. Um, and combination therapy resulted in significant increase in response rate, increase in overall survival uh, from about eleven months to eighteen months. So again, establishing a new and superior standard of care um, and the same takeaway holds as well, historically, immune therapies. Uh, only were useful in patients with specific biomarkers in endometrial cancer, so tumor mutation burden high or or mismatch repair gene deficiency. Uh, This worked regardless of expression of those biomarkers. So again, expanding access, expanding utility of these clinical interventions beyond just a unique subset of patients, so broad application. And that really underscores exactly what we're looking for when we're evaluating a combination strategy as compared to you know, historical strategies, monotherapy-based approach, we wanna see that response rates are improving, um, overall survival or progression-free survival, however you're men- uh, measuring that, gets better. But also, are we able to expand the number of patients that kind of fit under the umbrella? And both of those things are achieved with these combinations. And that's exciting as a clinician because it means we're able to deliver better results to more patients.
1: Dr. Kettle, those were excellent combination descriptions. Are you seeing any other combinations? And can you share some of the clinical data uh, with the with listeners?
2: Yeah, so there's a handful of things out there. Um, but I think probably the most um, notable, at least for today's discussion, is a combination of immune therapy with BRAF and MEK inhibitors and BRAF uh, V600E mutation positive melanoma. Um, The story here is very similar to VEGF um, in that BRAF and MEK inhibition also seems to manipulate the microenvironment and improve the way the body responds to immunotherapy-based treatments. Um, It gets pretty complex and, and frankly over my head pretty fast, but that's uh, the nuts and bolts here is there is still that same kind of process where there's a synergistic activity, uh, at least on the bench side that appears to be occurring, or the basic science side that's occurring. Um, the best data out there, or at least from what's clinically available in practice, is from the Inspire 150 trial that compared uh, cobimetinib, which is a MEK inhibitor, and vemurafenib, which is a VRAF inhibitor with and without a atezolizumab, it's a pd one inhibitor, um, and just looked at that, and again, B600E positive melanoma patients, frontline treatment. Um, the results of that trial showed a numerical, but not statistically significant increase in overall survival when you use the three drug combination. So I think there's a trend there. There's something worth monitoring um, that triplet is FDA approved, but I think a lot of questions remain, um, and this really goes back to one of my concerns that I brought up earlier. What are the disadvantages? We don't really know what's best in the long run for these patients yet. Is it better to use one modality and then sequential it with, you know, sequence it with another agent, or are we better off using them in combination? I think it's going to take time for those things um, to uh, become clear. But nonetheless, uh, it's another. Um, option kind of in our arsenal as we approach care. What about clinical trends and future directions?
1: Let's talk about the trends in practice settings and all of the regimens that you see in daily practice.
2: So I think there's two big overarching trends we're seeing today, both of them immunotherapy and targeted therapy. Um, that's, that's truly shifting our, our treatment paradigm. Um, the first is that these drugs are moving earlier and earlier in the treatment algorithm. So where most of these therapies, whether they be targeted therapies or immune therapies, started kind of on late line metastatic disease, they've moved their way up into first line metastatic. And in many cases now we're starting to use them in the adjuvant setting. So using them uh, before disease has spread after surgery, before surgery, kind of in in that space as opposed to just reserving them for patients with metastatic disease. So that's one clear and obvious trend. And, And the second trend Really has been the entire focus of our talk today. It's the emergence of all these combinations. Um, you know, we focus today on targeted therapy and checkpoint inhibitors, but there are all forms of combinations. Again, chemotherapy plus immunotherapy, immunotherapy plus immunotherapy, chemotherapy plus targeted therapy. We're finding all sorts of new ways to attack cancer. I think that is really valuable because the more we learn about what drives tumor cell growth, Again, very complicated, very dynamic, uh, and, and tumors in general are very heterogeneous. So you have to have a very multimodality approach to um, get optimum responses and hopefully eventually move uh, towards curing more and more patients uh, would be the ultimate goal. Um, so as far as the regimens we use, maybe not all that we talked about today, but certainly most of the regimens that are out there. Um, are being used or at least being considered for use in our practice. I think one of the big challenges as we try to sit from this fire hose uh, of new treatment options is to get to the point where we feel like we're making optimum and very patient specific choices. You know, frontline renal cell cancer is a great example. We have three really good options to choose from, uh, and four, you know, th- four reasonable options to choose from, uh, and then if you want to throw in immunotherapy plus immunotherapy, Iplumumab plus nivolumab, we have five reasonable options to pick from, none of which have head-to-head trials with one another. So, How do we get to the point where we feel like we're really making the best choice for each individual patient? Um, that's a difficult uh, bridge to cross. I think that's our, our challenge moving forward.
1: So you mentioned treatments that came out with, within the just just within the last 10 years. What do you see that could be coming in the future for these agents? And are there more indications or combinations that we'll see in the future?
2: Yeah, so I, I think I'll answer that second question with a resounding yes. I think this is we're very far from seeing the end of this development. I think, frankly, we're at the tip of the iceberg. Um, the more we have learned about Tumor cell, both from the perspective of the, the like tumor microenvironment, which is really important to how immune cells work. There's, you know, we've only explored really one or two mechanisms to modulate the immune system. We've got PD1, PDL1, and CTLA4 inhibitors. Um, there's all kinds of other immune cells or ways to affect the immune system um, that we're just barely getting to. So there's that piece out there. And the more we learn about tumor genetics. Um, and all the little molecular unique mutations and things and amplifications and uh, implications of all those, the number of targets we're going to have available to us is going to, again, continue to explode. So too are the drugs. We're getting better and better at designing uh, drugs that very specifically target unique mutations uh, or amplifications or what have you. And so Again, as the science gets better, we have a better understanding of the immune system and how it works against tumors and the targeted therapy and how all those things interplay together. The number of treatment options is just going to continue to grow. So um, in the near term, I think immune checkpoint inhibitors and PARP inhibitors seem to be on the cusp of becoming useful. Uh, we're starting to see other Uh, combinations, um, you know, ipilimumab plus nivolumab plus cabozantinib. There's trials looking at that. Uh, And then maybe a little further out, but who knows? It's hard to pick. We've got uh, the PI3K-AKT-MTOR pathway. Uh, Manipulating that seems to be particularly useful maybe in triple negative breast cancer. Uh, And then again, as I mentioned before, there's going to be more than likely some other immune modulatory drugs, whether that be LAG3 or CD3 immunomodulators, We're going to see other drugs. So I think we have only scratched uh, the surface of of how deep this will go. And I think it just speaks to, um, you know, that's why I love talking, love being a pharmacist and I love talking to pharmacists uh, because our role in in navigating through all this is only going to become more complex and more important. So our opportunities just professionally are going to be there. And what a reward that uh, by fulfilling that need, we're also going to help drive the future of cancer care.
1: Dr. Kettle, we see the rise of the specialty pharmacist really driving into different treatments um, all the time. Uh, we've talked with so many different pharmacists lately that that are becoming the go-to for uh, specific treatments based on the disease. You know, in wrapping up today, what would you say is the single most important takeaway for our pharmacists listening in?
2: Yeah, I think... I'll kind of close with with some of the same thoughts I opened with. This is a really remarkable and humbling time to be in clinical practice. Um, And while I get extremely excited about new drugs, new regimens, new treatment options for patients, I think it's always important to remember that this is the fruit that's born out of decades and decades of research that's finally come to bear while I'm here in clinical practice. Um, And I'm getting to use this and all that effort and labor, I'm getting to use this to impact patient care. So I try to keep that in perspective and I want to be part of the mission that keeps that trajectory moving forward. Take all that wonderful gifts we've had presented to us. Yes, it's incredibly daunting. It's overwhelming. It's stressful. But I want to take those gifts um, and realize what a tremendous opportunity is, not just to advance our profession, but ultimately to profoundly impact patient care.
1: So I want to thank you, Dr. Kettle, for your insights. It was amazing talking with you today. For our audience, once again, if you have questions, uh, there's going to be accessible information to extend um, your continuing education through PTCE Pharmacy Connect. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And for more information, be sure to visit uh, the PTCE family of information at pharmacytimes.org. Make sure we follow us on Facebook and also Twitter. Love Twitter. The PTCE team is active on there, Pharmacy Times CE, for the latest updates on CE activities. Thank you so much, Jacob.
2: Thanks so much. Enjoyed it. Thanks
0: for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to PharmacyTimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.